Our scripture reading this morning comes from the book of Galatians, chapter 6, verses 1 through 10. Brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. But watch yourselves, or you also may be tempted. Carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. If anyone thinks they are something when they are not, they deceive themselves. Each one should test their own actions. Then they can take pride in themselves alone without comparing themselves to someone else, for each one should carry their own load. Nevertheless, the one who receives instruction in the word should share all good things with their instructor. Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. Whoever sows to please their flesh, from the flesh will reap destruction. Whoever sows to please the Spirit, from the Spirit will reap eternal life. Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially those who belong to the family of believers. The word of the Lord. We've been talking for almost two months now about these one another commands. And these are the mutuality commands we find mostly in the New Testament, where we learn more and more about what it is to be a community of faith. And often on these Sundays, I've been rereading from Eugene Peterson's The Message. And I wanted to maybe start there with how he phrased this idea of bearing with one another, bearing the burdens of others. Here's how he wrote it. Live creatively, friends. If someone falls into sin, forgivingly restore him or her, saving your critical comments for yourself. You might be needing forgiveness before the day's out. Stoop down and reach out to those who are oppressed. Share their burdens and so complete Christ's law. If you think you are too good for that, you are badly deceived. Share their burdens. Stoop down. Bear one another's burdens. Didn't you always think that this is what your life would be about? This life of, of following Jesus, didn't you at one point say, yeah, it's going to be mostly about bearing one another's burdens. Stooping down. Living creatively. Reaching out. Just before our text today, back in Galatians chapter 5, the Apostle Paul, he begins to make his case for this kind of a life. He's making the case for living by a, a whole new ethic, uh, the law of Christ we read here in Galatians 6. But the real ethic that he talks about is living by the Spirit. It's a heroic idea, really, for people who have discovered that faith indeed does change how they look at life and the important stuff in life begins to be reordered for them. 
And so Paul writes about living free, free to love others, free to respond and to act, free enough to let, as he says, the desires of the flesh go and to be crucified to self and alive to Christ, free to walk by the Spirit. And then he moves into, in Galatians 5, right before our text today, he moves into this well-known line. Some of us sang it with our kids when they were growing up. You know, the fruit of the Spirit is, I always get them in the wrong order. <laughs> Love, peace, joy. I always got to look down. Patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. Is that nine? Close enough, right? But he gives us this new understanding of what this life was going to look like. A type of mantra to, to live by. And so finally Paul says at this point in the end of Galatians 5, he says, those who live by the Spirit, let us keep step with the Spirit. So we have a new way of walking. That's where we get the idea of walk the talk. Didn't you always assume that this was going to be what it was like? to be a part of the community of faith, a follower of Christ, to be free, to walk by the Spirit, losing yourself in something more and to live creatively for others. You know, my favorite life skills coach, uh, Larry Bird, uh, he doesn't really say much, but when he does, it's like E.F. Hutton has, has, has spoken. You know, people listen. And so one time, you know, Larry Bird said, first, you master the fundamentals. And it always seemed like this was the fundamental. You had to be like a real disciple. When you first got, got the idea of who Jesus is, didn't you picture him out walking the hills of Galilee with his disciples? And didn't you begin to picture yourself as one of those disciples out walking with him and you would travel places and you would see him do things and part, help him do other things and listen to him and help out where you could and you were just a part of that, that band of followers and it was going to be amazing. There was transforming stuff going on around this guy. This ethic of love that it was going to be fundamental to life. So anyway, by the time that Paul wrote Galatians 6 and he said, bear one another's burdens and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. By the time I'm reading that, I'm thinking, okay, I, I get it. That's what it's going to be all about. That's got to be it. This ethic of love as Jesus sees it. And so Paul, he even follows it up by saying, if anyone thinks they are something when they are not, they just see themselves. This is who we really are. We are people who walk by the Spirit. This is one of those parts of the Bible that always calls into question our very reason for being. I read these words and I can't help but think to myself, who am I? Who am I really? At the heart of this command to bear one another's burdens is this ultimate idea to commit to pick up somebody else's life do that, to move to Detroit, to teach second grade, maybe, <laughs> to pick up other people's lives, 
He had these stories in Scripture that they always spoke loudest. Remember that scene where Jesus is in Capernaum and the text tells us that it was his own house. That he had a house there. And people would press in and so much so that the door was blocked and there's other men that get an idea and they, they take their paralyzed friend up onto the roof and they dig a hole in the roof. Remember that story? And they lower him down to the feet of Jesus. They got creative, didn't they? Can you imagine? That story has always caught my imagination. And what did Jesus say when he saw this coming, this man being lowered down to him? My roof. <laughs> what are you doing to my roof? No, he didn't say that. Mark, in his gospel, says he saw their faith, and he says to the man, your sins are forgiven. I think when God sees us doing things like that, being creative, living by the Spirit, amazing things begin to happen. God begins to transform the people around us and even ourselves. Haven't you always wanted to end up on the end of one of those ropes? Be that burden bearer. Let him down. Get him to Jesus. Bearing somebody's burden besides my own. Living a little more creatively. You know um, the story about Sir Edmund Hillary and his Sherpa guide, Tenzig Norgay. It was on May 29, 1953, that he became the first people ever to summit Mount Everest. Don't you always love that photo? You've seen that before. I think it must be afterwards. <laughs> yeah, they seem pretty surprised and happy that they made it down. Um, and that's kind of the story. On, on the descent from the peak, Sir Edmund lost his footing, but uh, this, his Sherpa, Tenzig Norgay, he, he dug his ice axe in and you know, saved him. The, the line held and uh, keeping them both from falling to their deaths. Later on, reporters asked uh, the Sherpa Tenzig you know, about all of that, and he wouldn't take any credit for saving Sir Edmund's life. He just considered it a routine part of his job. He said, mountain climbers always help each other. That's all he said. They always help each other. I think that's what this text in Galatians is about, that the followers of Jesus, they just always help each other and others. <laughs> we always hold firm to the one who's in danger of falling. We take our place at the end of one of those lines and we, we bear the burden. We wade into whatever the situation is and we bear one another up. It's just who we are. Our family took a, a backpacking trip some years ago. Our daughter Melissa, who's here today, she can maybe verify a few of the facts if I get them wrong. And this was a while ago, and we were living out in Hawaii at the time and came up with the idea to fly to Wyoming and hike the Teton Crest Trail that goes across the spine of that range. So we did all that. We, I remember we were checking in there in Honolulu for our flight, and there we all were you know, on the terminal. We had all of our, our packs were spread out, and we're still kind of lashing sleeping bags on and making sure things were tucked in, zippers, you know, and I still remember this, um, this woman in line behind us, you know, she said, look, dear, 
it's a backpacking group. You know, and I felt so good. You know, it's like we're pulling this off. <laughs> you know, we're, we're, actually, we're selling this. We even look the part. You know, it, look, it looks like we're going to do okay with this. And, yeah, I was, I was kind of feeling a lot of dad pride in the moment. Uh, that, this family sort of strut and groove. <laughs> but that would soon be tested on the trail. It was our first day out, and it was proving to be a bit strenuous. At one point, in a place ironically called Death Canyon, <laughs> packs were being dropped <laughs> rather rebelliously. There were tears. The whole dad cool thing was quickly lost. <laughs> we had a, a great crisis on our hands, really. All this gear was getting spread out. The kids were discouraged. There was this huge wall of a mountain rising up in front of us. And we had some decisions to make about it all. How would we handle this? Well, the gear was starting to come out of packs and put into other packs. You know, can you carry this sleeping bag and put this pad on this pack? And can you carry this spoon, please? <laughs> you know, this block of cheese over here. And you know, finally, whatever was left, I think, went on Cindy's back. <laughs> And everything got redistributed. And somehow we made it up and over, but it was an effort to carry the burdens of one another. And isn't that a lot like life? How we go through this life, there's so much stuff to carry. Everywhere you look, packs are being dropped, and people are, are often losing their, their strut and their cool, and not quite sure how they're going to do it. There's this overwhelming amount of weight on the shoulders of people. You know, the Old Testament talks a lot about carrying things, I've noticed. Um, the little, little book of uh, Habakkuk, this prophecy, it even starts with the very word, the first line of Habakkuk is something like uh, the, the, the oracle of the prophet Habakkuk was received. And, and the word for the oracle or the prophecy is this word that Massah, which really means a heavy load. So it's Habakkuk who's saying, ah, oh, this load of this word that I've been given by God, this responsibility that God has given me, it's, it's such a load. We know about that, don't we? We have this stuff that just falls on us as, as human beings. We've got to carry it, and it feels so heavy at times. I love how Habakkuk ends, though, the end of that prophecy. You know, he's talking about Israel's fate and its hardship. And he says, though the fig tree does not bud and though there are no grapes on the vine, though there's no sheep in the pen, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. Yet I will be joyful in God my Savior. It's such a heavy message. A Messiah. That same word, interestingly enough, is meant for actual physical loads. Back in Exodus, we read about a donkey. A donkey of someone who hates you has fallen down under its massah, its load, its burden. And the instruction was, don't leave it there. Be sure you help him with it, the donkey. But then in Numbers, Moses talks about the same heavy burden. He's arguing with God about the heavy load that he's been given. It says, he asked he the Lord, why have you brought the trouble on your servant, this trouble? What have I done to displease you that you have put this Massah, this load on these people 
of these people on me. Did I conceive all these people? Did I give them birth? Why do you tell me to carry them in my arms? Everybody's got this stuff that they've got to carry. A massah. Have you ever prayed like that? Why do I have all this? You know, it's no wonder then that Jesus, in this great new ethic of, of love for one another, he speaks of things like going the extra mile. You know, if the Roman law requires you to go one mile, we'll t- double it, take it another mile. Carry the gear. So it's no wonder then that Paul, when he begins to talk about living by the Spirit, gets into this whole burden-bearing idea. It was such a common thing in those days to carry the burdens of others. Lewis Smedes, the psychologist, he once wrote a book about commitments. And in that book he uh, talks about what our commitments do to us, how they shape us. I just wanted to read a section. He says, what life is about for most of us is a search for ourselves. We want to know who we are and how to define ourselves to others. So we spend our lives finding out. We are looking for a personal hub that holds us together as the wheels of our lives keep turning. We are so confoundingly complicated and confused. And that same quote goes on. It says this, One of me is a wily rake. The other is a simple saint. One of me is laughingly healthy. The other is a pouting neurotic. One of me is a romantic poet, sign for the perfect love. The other is a practical realist, content to love faithfully if imperfectly. One is vulgar enough to shock my best friends. The other is refined enough to get along in all the proper places. One of me is a true believer. The other is a wandering doubter. I carry such contradictions within myself that I must confuse the angels. But where is the real me? Where can we find our enduring selves beneath all of our changes and conflicts? I wish I'd written that. (laughs) I think I could (laughs) have. Maybe we all could have. I think Smeads says something about our identity and how it's derived because of what, how others have committed themselves to us and they've borne our burdens. We are somebody because somebody was there for us. They, they picked up that rope and they, they lowered us to a place where we could be transformed. People have taken care of us. They've gone that extra mile and they've fed us and touched us and listened to us. Letting us believe that they would be there again for us again and again. They've kept a commitment. People do that. They enter into our lives and they're just there. Parents and friends and, and, and churches, self-deferential kind of people who, who absolutely see us and they make sure that we make it off the mountain. And in that, we begin to believe that we are valued and that we are somebody. We begin to have identity. But our sense of self is not left there. It's also formed as, as we do that then for others in our commitments to them in the fulfilling of this law of Christ that Paul writes about, this ethic of love to bear one another's burdens. Paul, he lays it all out there for us to 
find ourselves in this burden-bearing aspect, our commitment to one another. Isaiah, Paul sort of echoes him, I think, where Isaiah said, when you feed the hungry and when you clothe the naked, when you encourage the oppressed, and I love this line, he says, your life is going to break forth like the dawn. That's new identity. That's where it comes from. Then he says, then your healing is going to come. That's where transformation comes. Another author, Tim Madigan, he wrote a book about Fred Rogers, Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood. And he told about a time he he wrote a letter to, to Fred Rogers. And in this book, it's called I'm Proud of You, Life Lessons from My Friend Fred Rogers. He was going through a tough time in his marriage, and so he, he writes this letter to him, and this is how he kind of pulled it all together. He said this. He said, I finally summoned my nerve. I went inside to our computer, and I typed out a letter to my friend, tears of remorse streaming down my cheeks. After years of counseling and struggle, my marriage was probably ending, and I was the one ending it. I, I told Mr. Rogers in my letter that day, could he forgive such a person? Could he continue to love such a man? His reply arrived within the week, two full pages on the stationery of Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood. I did not make it through the first paragraph, he writes, before I began to cry. Here's what it said. My dear Tim, bless your heart. I feel so sorry. I feel so for you, for you all. But Tim, please know that I would never forsake you that I will never be disappointed with you, that I will never stop loving you. How I wish I could be closer geographically. I'd get in my car, drive to your house, knock on your door, and when you answered, I'd hug you tight. Mr. Rogers. And he goes on to say this. You are a beautiful man inside and out, and those who care about you are privileged to share your pain. As for suffering, I believe that there are fewer people than ever who escape major suffering in this life. In fact, I'm fairly convinced the kingdom of God is for the brokenhearted. You write of powerlessness? Join the club. We are not in control. God is. Our trust and affection then run very deep. You know you are in my prayers now and always. If you ever need me, you have only to call, and I would do my best to get to you, or you to me, You are my beloved brother, Tim. You are God's beloved son. It seems to me that in that letter is almost the prescription for how to bear one another's burdens. Get there, right? Get there if you can. So many are weighed down under their own massah. Some word, some oracle, some heaviness in their life that's holding them down, and Paul says that everyone should carry their own load, but yet he does a a curious thing. He doesn't leave it that. We know we're responsible for our own stuff, but he's also got this filled with compassion here. He knows how it goes. Often our first response is, well, that's their stuff. They've got to be able to handle that themselves. So it's almost a layer of judgment but Paul quickly says, you, you who are spiritual, meaning you who have some maturity in the faith, restore them gently. It's kind of a medical term, restore. Mend them back together. 
but do it gently, like Mr. Rogers. <laughs> There's to be no lording ourselves over others, those who are burdened. But just help. Get there if you can. Pick up the pack. Carry it for a while. No indifference or no apathy, just compassion. No judgment, but gentleness. Let's not become weary, Paul says, in doing good as we have the opportunity. This is kind of the feeling command, isn't it? To bear one. We've got we to get a heart for people. Like Mr. Rogers, I feel so for you. Didn't you always assume this is the way it would be? This is the kind of stuff our lives would be filled with, living by the Spirit, helping, seeing, finding yourself free in Christ's love to, to share and to lift and to be there. Martin Luther, years ago, when he wrote about Galatians, he, he used this phrase when he came to Galatians 6. He said that Christians must have strong shoulders and sturdy bones. I like that. It's just who we are. It's our identity. Our God, we know, is not a God of indifference or apathy. The God that we forever meet in the Bible is the God of deep compassion who feels our Messiah, the weight that we carry. Jesus, he self-identifies himself to us. Come to me, he says, all you who are weary and are overladen and I will give you rest for my yoke is easy and my burden is light he's got capacity for us do you have capacity for others can you get a spoon in there <laughs> a hunk of cheese can you take on somebody's massah that heaviness that they're carrying God, he's got this tremendous capacity for us in Christ. Invites us to come. He's committed to us. It's just who God is. Compassion is the heart of God. And he invites us to have that heart too in us. Isn't that the way we always thought it would be? Strong shoulders and sturdy bones. Living creatively and bearing one another's burdens. Amen.